Welcome to the Breaking Into Finance podcast. My name is Craig Thompson, and this is the open source field guide to help you understand everything you need to know about breaking into finance. Let's dive in. We've spent some time talking about the three financial statements and just kind of like point in time today, trying to come up with some vocabulary for like what's going on in these businesses. And I want to take a step back because ultimately the reason why we do all of this work is for the purposes of valuation. And valuation really basically requires three things. One is some framework for trying to project what's going to happen in the future. Um, two is trying to look at the state of affairs today and try to figure out how likely it is that the company has the infrastructure to get to that future. Um, and then three is just like literally how much money do they have today? Because that's the first component of value is kind of like cash they have available today. And so I want to start with like a little bit of a thought exercise. Um, and I promise this starts or it gets more complicated. It starts kind of simple. So not a trick question, but what is a dollar worth today? A dollar worth today is a dollar. Yeah. Um, and, and what's, what's a dollar. If I, if I told you, like, I could give you a dollar in a year, um, is that promise of a dollar in a year? Is that worth more or less or the same than the dollar today? I would say the same because it's like the same amount. It would be the same amount. Um, but one thing I will say is like, I guess a dollar now would, I would want that more because I would be having it now versus in a year. Yeah. Like literally, like, yeah. I mean, I, I know you started to say the same, but like literally if I was like, okay, I'm going to take this dollar, I'm going to put it on the table. And you can either pick it up now and put it in your wallet, or you have to leave it on the table for a year. Um, and then, and by the way, like if it's still on the table in a year, you can have it. Um, you'd probably just take it, right? Because um, you're not worse off for taking the dollar now, yeah. right? Like it didn't reduce your flexibility. You might, you might spend it on something. And so this concept is a concept of discount rates and like discounting future money, which is to say it's kind of like a general rule of thumb in finance um, and in kind of like corporate finance that dollars in the future are worth less than dollars today for some combination of those two reasons. Um, and usually people abstract away the counterparty risk, like how reliable is it that they'll like give it to you? Um, and it's really just about opportunity cost of like, you could be doing stuff with that money, um, or in a world where you don't have dollars and you want a dollar today, this is kind of like the flip side of thinking about it is if you need a dollar right now for something, there's a question of like, for you to get that dollar today, instead of waiting for your business to generate that dollar, how would you get it? Um, so what are ways like we've talked about if you're a business and you want to just like get new money in the door right now, um, what are some things we've, we've talked about that might allow you to do that or some ways that you could do that? 
I mean, just getting money in right now. I mean, you could borrow money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so get a loan, borrow money. That's one way. What's, what's another way? Um, another way would be. Like what if you're a startup that maybe nobody wants to lend you? Um, somehow increasing your profit so that people. Yeah. So, so that would be lovely. Um, we're, we're in a world where you can't do that and you need money from somewhere. And yeah. So one is you can borrow money, like, like issue debt, um, or take out a loan. And the other is you can give away equity. You can give away promises to a percentage of whatever future money you make. Um, and so those are kind of like the two primary things that you could do. And so if you are looking at a particular person or a particular company or like whatever the situation might be, um, one way that we commonly think about valuing dollars today versus dollars in the future is your opportunity cost of like, what could you do with the incremental return? But the way in finance that we really like to think about it is let's say you didn't have the dollar and you needed it. How much would it cost you to get that dollar? And so the way you think about that is, well, like maybe you want to, you know, issue some equity and give away some equity in your company. And then you need to quantify how much does that cost you? Like how much will you no longer receive by virtue of having given away equity in your company? Or if you're taking out a loan or you're borrowing money or you're issuing debt, all those are kind of the same thing. Um, Just different words for it. What is the interest rate that you're paying to someone else? Um, And like, how does that impact the cost to you of getting that money? Um, So this is another common topic of interview question is kind of like the thinking behind what is called a discounted cash flow analysis. And we'll talk about all of the lines of like company valuation that leads to a company cash flow number. But really, I want to focus on this mechanic of discounting. And okay. so qualitatively, like that's what we're doing is we're figuring out how much would it cost us as a company, given our particular set of circumstances, to get money and we're going to use that as basically our discount rate. Okay. Um, and is that, do you think that's different across companies? Do you think like the, the cost associated with finding money with acquiring capital? Um, and we, we've, we've used the word capital before, by the way, but capital is just money. Um, when you hear people say like acquiring capital, capital markets, that is equivalently just saying, you know, money. Um, do you think companies have different costs associated with, you know, capital that they need? I want to say yes, because like different companies, I guess, depending on what they're doing or what they're selling or what they're making, have different costs. So then they'll need different capital. Yeah. And I'd say it's less about like the costs associated with like the products that the companies make, but it's more like consider, consider this example. I'm the company and you're the investor. Um, You're the one who's like actually going to give me money. 
and um, you have two options. You can loan $100 to a company that I just created. Um, and I'll promise you, you know, like 5% interest. Um, we're keep in mind the way that this loan mechanic works is if you give me the hundred dollars or, and sorry, you're not even giving it to me personally, you're giving it to this company that I just started. And this company will pay you 5% of, of that hundred dollars. So $5 every year for five years. And at the end of five years, you'll get your last $5 payment and your hundred dollars back. Um, but you only get all of that money back if this company that I just created is still around in five years and still like able to pay you. Um, and let's say you're deciding between lending that hundred dollars at a 5% interest rate to this company I just created or to Microsoft, which feels safer to you. I feel like since Microsoft is established that feels like the safer route. Yeah, they're this huge company. $100 is like nothing to them. Like they're, you know, they're making like hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue yeah. a year. Um they make a, you know, they make a lot of products, all of which are stable and recurring and so I think like the confidence that they'll still be around in 5 years and able to make your $5 interest payments is extremely high. Um and so the way that this balances out in the world is if every loan was a 5% interest loan, you'd be like, well, like, Craig, your startup is screwed. Like, you're never going to, like, no one's going to lend to you because everyone's going to take the 5% deal at Microsoft. Yeah. Um, and so we've talked about, like, capital basically means money. And we're all kind of, like, operating in what's called the capital markets, which is to say Microsoft goes out into the capital markets offering loans. Like, they want to borrow money from people. and you are a participant in the capital markets as an investor where you're willing to lend money to people. And then my startup is a participant in the capital markets because I'm also trying to you know, find money. And so in this market, Microsoft is a much safer proposition than I am. And so what Microsoft likely will do is they'll say, well, hey, like, why do we have to pay 5% interest? Like, what if we offer 4% interest? What if we offer 3% interest? Meanwhile, I'm out here like, I'm like, I don't know, I got offer 12% interest. I got offer 15% interest. Like I got to get people, I have to offer enough interest to entice people to take the risk that I'm not around relative to all of the other ways that they could invest their capital in this capital market. And so that functionally is kind of like how the capital market works and how debt capital markets work is everybody kind of looks at what the safest, what the interest rate is on like the safest possible thing, which people have kind of agreed are US treasuries. And they look at interest rates on US treasuries and then they benchmark the incremental risk of lending to Microsoft versus the US government. Um, and basically like they might say something like, I think if I were to... Be enticed to invest in Microsoft relative to the US government, Microsoft needs to offer an extra quarter point or a half point um, over and above whatever the, you know, the government treasury interest rate is. Um, yeah. By the way, with all the like 
I mean, it sounds like maybe they're coming to a deal and we're avoiding a default of the US government. But I think there is a legitimate argument to make that especially like a five-year like loan to Microsoft is probably safer than a five-year loan to the US government, potentially. Um, but yeah, so that basically means that the cost of capital, which is the cost that a company has to pay to get new capital, is different for all these different companies. Um, so my startup's cost of capital, do you think it's higher or lower than Microsoft's? Um, wouldn't it be high, higher because you like are a less established company and you therefore like have to offer more interest to get like more, I guess, these people more enticed to like invest in your company. So then the cost of capital would be higher. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so this is like, this is exactly like when you hear cost of capital, this is what I want you to think about in your head is like, what do, what does a company have to give up to get new capital in the door? And that means by the way, that cost of capital is a competitive advantage for a lot of companies. Because if I'm a startup that's trying to compete with Microsoft, let's say, um, my cost of capital is way higher than Microsoft's. So if I'm evaluating all of these projects that I could potentially try to pursue, I need an expected return. Like, let's say my startup's cost of capital, just to like put out a number is 15%. Okay. Um, and I'm thinking about raising money to invest in a project. The implication is that the return on that project needs to be higher than 15% for it to be worthwhile. Okay. Because what happened like what happens if I have a cost of capital of 15% and I take all of that money and I invest it in a project that returns only 10%. Then don't you like you're losing money because Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're losing money. Um and so that is kind of like a simple but like very true and like this is how the world works lens of whether people make investment decisions and how to make investment decisions is you always want to be investing money in projects with an expected return that exceeds your cost of capital. Okay. And so the more a project exceeds your cost of capital, then the better it is, right? So like one way to make a lot of money is to do projects that you know have an expected return of like 40% on a cost of capital of like much lower than that of like 10% or 5%. Um the other way to make a lot of money is do a ton of projects with small margins. So if you're like you could think about it as like I can do one project where my expected return is 30% higher than my cost of capital you're making the same amount of money doing that as pursuing 30 projects that each have an expected return that is 1% above your cost of capital. Um, and so functionally what that means is Microsoft is going to end up investing a lot more than the startup. They're just going to do a lot higher volume of things because there's a whole spectrum of projects out there where let's say, let's say Microsoft's cost of capital is 6%. And 
my startup's cost of capital is 15%. Any project, like any like, you know, potential like customer that like we could compete after a product that's competitive that we could try to compete. If the true expected return on any of those projects is 7%, 8%, 9%, 10, 11%, 12%, 13%, 14%. All of those are projects that my startup would turn down because my cost of capital is above those numbers. But all of those expected returns exceed Microsoft's cost of capital. So those are all profitable projects that Microsoft could do, will do, and they grow their profits. Um, So that's kind of like the concept one of cost of capital as a comparative advantage where having a lower cost of capital means there's a larger universe of projects available to you. Two, we've talked about how cost of capital can be different for different companies, which I guess relates to the comparative advantage point. And then three, that we're using cost of capital as our method of discounting future cash flows. So that's like the one other, a little bit leap of faith. I like, I hope I've motivated a little bit, but that is like the way that academic finance folks have agreed is the most appropriate way to compare a dollar tomorrow to a dollar today is it's not, you know, what would your return be on those dollars? Because there's all sorts of projects you could pursue. That's maybe hard to define too. Like it's hard to like say, this is a, you know, I expect a 15% return on this project. It's sort of like, okay, like maybe, but like, you don't really know. But what I do know is if you went out into the capital markets to try to raise capital for this project, you could do that exercise today and I could tell you the cost of that capital. Okay. Makes sense so far? Yes, any, that makes any questions sense. on that? Um, just like clarifying what you just said. So like, I guess like valuing a dollar today versus a dollar in a year, it's just like companies or like finance professionals can use the cost of capital because like like in now versus year because like you said like if you went out to the capital markets then you could like say like what would be your cost of capital exactly yeah okay. and so and the and the implication of that by the way is that a dollar in a year to microsoft is worth a different amount than a dollar in a year is worth to me because our cost of capitals are different. Okay. Which that that's like a little bit like, isn't that a little bit funny logic? But it's it's true because they can borrow money more cheaply than I can. And so as you're thinking about discounting their future cash flows, you can think of those future dollars. Like one way to think about it is I have some expected cash flow production for Microsoft in a year. And I have some expected cash production of my startup in a year. And what I'm telling you is because their cost of capital is lower, um, their dollars in the future, like if it was the same expected cash flow, their discount rate is lower. So their future dollars are worth more than mine, which is kind of funny. But if you think about it, that's exactly what we've been saying when we priced our relative interest rates. 
their future dollars are worth more because they're more likely to be there. Like there's greater certainty that they will be there okay. in the future. And so it's kind of like two sides of the same coin where the reason their cost of capital is lower is because they can borrow debt for cheaper than I can. And they can borrow debt for cheaper than I can because in debt investors believe that they're safer. And the same reason that is causing debt investors to believe that Microsoft is safer than my startup is exactly the same reason why after you do all this discounting math, the discount factor for Microsoft is lower in magnitude. And so their future dollars are worth more than my future dollars. Okay. I know that's that's a little bit tricky. Um, but does does that does that sort of make sense? No, yeah, that makes sense. Like thinking about it in the like the way you phrased that was really helpful because it makes sense that like since they're more established, they can borrow debt for a cheaper rate. So that yeah. And the same thing that makes them more established and let and therefore borrow at cheaper rates it that same logic applies to why their future dollars are worth more than my future dollars okay. is it's a lot more certain that those future dollars are real and will be around and like will exist yeah okay um so it's kind of like the same logic just applied into or like it shows up in two different places but it's the same logic that underpins that um, so now we're getting to another very popular interview topic, very popular technical interview topic, which is you will commonly be asked about the WAC. Have you, have you heard that acronym before? I have not um, heard of the WAC. W-A-C-C, the WAC, and it stands for Weighted Average Cost of Capital. And the basic idea is not so different from what we've been talking about. We've been talking about cost of capital. And so now all we're doing is a weighted average of cost of capital. And you're like, okay, well, like, what's this weighted average? We've only been talking about a world where we can only get money from borrowing it with debt. Um, and by the way, we've been ignoring the tax shield on that debt. So our cost of capital on debt that we borrow is actually even lower than the interest rate that we have to give out on the debt. Because when we pay that interest out to folks, we get a tax shield uh, benefit that slightly reduces the true cost to us. And we've done, um, you know, in previous episodes, we've talked about, you know, borrowing money and the effect on interest rate. Um, but just, just to do a quick recap on that, when you borrow money, you have interest expense. When you have interest expense, that causes your earnings before taxes to be lower. So therefore you pay fewer taxes and therefore your net income is still lower as a result of borrowing the money, but it's not quite as low as you might expect if there is no tax shield. And so we'll we'll talk a little bit about motivating like the formula for weighted average cost of capital. But basically the idea is you can borrow money 
like via loans and pay interest. And that's one way that people or that companies can get capital. The other way they can get capital is with equity. Um, and so weighted average cost of capital just basically looks at a particular company and says, well, how much of your capital came from equity and how much of your capital came from debt? And then we're just going to basically like look at your the percentage of your capital that came from equity. And we're going to look at the cost of getting that equity. And we're going to look at the percentage of your capital that came from debt. And we're going to look at your after-tax cost of debt, which remember is going to be a little bit lower than like the interest rate you're paying out. Um, and we're just going to take a weighted average. Um, and that's your weighted average cost of capital. So if you know your cost, your tax-affected cost of borrowing debt, and you know your cost of equity, and you know how much equity you actually like have issued, and you know how much debt you've issued, then you can calculate your weighted average cost of capital. Okay, that makes sense. And would it just be, I guess, how would each component go into like the calculation of that, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, and, I'll, and I'll try to walk through this verbally. I'd encourage listeners, if you just Google WAC, like W-A-C-C, you can see the formula for this. And it's probably easier to follow along if you're doing that and you're looking at each component. The way that you would figure out kind of like the relative weights, let's start with that. Like how much equity do you have? How much debt do you have? Um, the way that people will do that is they will look at their enterprise value, which is basically like what is this whole thing worth? And they'll look at how much debt have you issued? And then they'll basically say, well, like all of your, you know, equity value, which is basically the value that is not the, the debt value. Um, I, for, I forget if we've defined this before, but um, the equity value of a public company is just the market cap. It's basically like the value of all of the shares that exist in the world. So if you hear people talk about market capitalization or market cap of a public company, basically what they're doing is they're looking at the stock price of the company and they're multiplying it by how many shares exists in the world. And there's like some nuance to that. There's like options that exist. I want to set that aside for a second. Like the simplest way to do it is how many shares are there in the world? What is the price per share? Multiply those two things together. And that's how people calculate market cap. So that's the equity value of a company. Um, then the, uh, the net debt of a company is how much debt do you have minus how much cash do you have? And net debt plus equity value equals enterprise value. Um, and so it's basically like looking at the relative weightings of like for all of the value that's in your enterprise, how much is equity and how much is debt? And the reason why people do this weighting is if I'm a startup, it is very unlikely, by the way, that I'll ever be able to borrow any money like as a startup, like for all these reasons that we're talking about. And so I likely have to give away equity. And so it doesn't make sense to take into account my cost of debt as a startup into my weighted average cost of capital because I don't have any debt. 
and I'm not going to raise, I'm not going to issue any debt. So like, if I think about like, where'd all my money come from? It came from equity. And so my like weighted average cost of capital math for my startup is like a hundred percent times my cost of equity plus 0% times whatever my cost of debt is. And so we don't even have to figure out how much it would cost me to borrow because it's 0%, like, don't worry about it. Whereas with a big public company like Microsoft, they're a public company, they have shares outstanding. So they do have a cost of equity, but they also likely issued a bunch of debt. Um, and so that is like an important weight and factor to take into account. Make sense so far? Yeah, that makes sense. So we've talked about how to figure out the weightings, like how to figure out like what weight do you apply to your cost of equity? What weight do you apply to your cost of debt? Okay. For calculating the tax-affected cost of debt, that's what we've been talking about, right? So that is like at what interest rate could you issue new debt? Um, and then there's some tax shield benefit of issuing that debt. Um if you're if you think about how like at an investment bank how how they calculate WAC, they will literally go to like a debt capital markets person in the financing group. Like so, like let's say someone in kind of like the classic or like M and A group is trying to do a discounted cash flow analysis of a company, trying to do a DCF valuation of a company. They will call someone up on the debt capital markets desk, which is still in the investment banking division, but it's in the financing group, and they will say, hey. I'm doing like a DCF analysis for Microsoft. If Microsoft were to issue new debt today, at what interest would they be able to raise that money? Um, and usually just, and by the way, like the interest rate varies by how long, you know, the borrowing would be. Um, and so different companies have like rules of thumb about like, is it like a 10 year or a 20 year or a 30 year, you know, bond that they'd be issuing? Um, generally people triangulate around 10, 20 or 30 year time horizons for this cost of debt. I think like a lot of the academics empirically like to use a 20 year cost of debt. Um, but as it turns out, like in the market, like nobody really issues 20 year bonds. So it's like a little bit of a funky math to do. Um, so I think using like a 10-year um, cost of debt, which is to say like if Microsoft were to issue a 10-year bond, 10-year bond meaning we get interest payments for 10 years and then at the end of the 10th year, we get our money back and the last interest payment. Um, that's kind of like what people use. I wish I had a better way of like motivating why people use that. But like if someone in an interview is like, how would you estimate the cost of debt? Um, the answer is I try to find a rate at which they could issue debt in the market today. Um, and I'll use like a 10-year bond. Okay. And then we talked about how you, there's a tax shield on that. So you have to tax affect it. And so that, by the way, is like the most complicated thing in this whole thing. Like figuring out the after-tax cost of debt. Um, well, we'll talk about like asset betas and like equity betas a little bit, but like the, the, that is like the most steps and is the most accounting involved in it. Um, estimating the cost of equity 
I'm going to actually like set it aside. And I think we should talk about that in a separate module. Cause that's kind of like another level of complexity that I'm not ready to introduce yet, but there is a way of calculating the cost of equity and the standard way uses what's something called a, a capital asset pricing model or cap M um, like cap cap em crunch, but you know, with an M instead of an N um, and there's a little bit more complexity for that. I kind of, so I'm just going to set that aside for now. Listeners, if you have an interview tomorrow and you really want to figure it out, we'll have a future episode on it that I'd encourage you to check out. But just if you're following along in your journey with us, I think that's like a ton of complexity um, for us to introduce at this stage. Okay, deep breath. So we've talked about kind of motivating cost of capital. We've talked about this weighted average cost of capital thing. And let's pretend we know, you know, what our what our cost of equity is, and we did all this math and we calculated it. We're going to use that weighted average cost of capital number, which is going to come out as a percentage. Like our weighted average cost of capital might be 10% or 12% or 8%. And we're going to use that to discount each future year of cash flow. And one way to think about like what that math should be is to say, if we are growing at the same rate as our discount rate, then those dollars in the future should be equivalent to the dollars today, which is to say like the value of a dollar today should be the same as, you know, a dollar and 12 cents in a year if my weighted average cost of capital is 12%. Okay. So which is basically like if my dollars every year grow at 12% per year and my cost of capital every year is 12% per year, then the value in today's dollars of whatever I'm getting today should be a dollar. The value in today's dollars of what I get in a year should be a dollar and it should be a dollar in every year. Okay. Which is basically to say, if I'm investing in projects that have the exact same return as my cost of capital, then whatever I come up with after I've you know generated that return should be the same in today's dollars as whatever I was generating today. Okay. So if I if I were if my cash flow next year grew twelve percent, what formula would I use? to calculate, like, let's say I made a dollar today. How would I calculate how many dollars I'm projecting to make next year? If I'm generated, if I'm growing at 12%. Well, then kind of like you said before, wouldn't we use our WAC to calculate? Not, not, we're not discounting it yet to today's dollars. Like I just want to know the gross projected value. So I made, I made it, we, our company made a dollar of cash flow today, and I'm telling you, it's going to make 12% more next year. Okay. What well, is then that? Wouldn't we just, it, would, it wouldn't just be 1.12. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So basically the math is like the, whatever I had today. So the $1 times one plus my growth rate. So one okay. times one plus 12% is one times 1.12 is 1.12. And so to offset that, the way we do the discount rates is we divide by um, by one plus the whack. 
Okay. So one times 1.12 divided by 1.12 is one because the two one point like the 1.12 on the top cancels out with the okay. 1.12 on the bottom. Okay. Um, I like to talk about that because if you if I was like asking you like how mechanically would you discount that future value? One thing you might tell me is you multiply it by one minus the whack, but that's incorrect because it's slightly different from dividing by one plus the whack. Okay. And the re- and they're two and they're slightly different. So which one do you pick? The one you pick is one is whatever you're making divided by one plus the whack, and you do that because it perfectly it is meant to be able to cancel out and offset growth in the numerator. Okay. And by the way, I, I haven't I haven't talked about the the concept of like present value or net present value, um, which is abbreviated as NPV. You might have heard the the acronym NPV before. Um, all of those are the same thing: present value, net present value, NPV, PV. All of those things mean the same thing. And what that's doing is it's trying to convert the value of future dollars into the present value basically is like today's dollars. Um, so the NPV of a dollar and 12 cents in one year for this company, the same company that we're talking about with a 12% discount rate is what? Wouldn't it just be a dollar and 12 cents? Yep. Okay. Oh, no, no. Cause we have to, it's in a year. So we have to discount it. Oh, so then it would just be a dollar. Yep. Um, okay. What about the NPV of a dollar and twelve cents for the same company in two years? Would it also be a dollar again, or would it be? It's less because now we're not just one year in the future; we're two years we're in two the future. Years. Okay. Would you take that twelve percent again and like yeah. subtract it from the one dollar, or like take it away? Divide it by. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's basically like if a dollar today is one divided by one. Okay. Um, right, because it's today. Yeah. Like a dollar today is a dollar. And when I say one divided by one, what I'm really doing is I'm doing one divided by one plus my whack to the zeroth power, because it's zero years in the future. Okay. And next year oh. it's you know 1 plus or sorry 1 times 1 plus my growth rate divided by 1 plus my whack to the first power because it's one year in the future. Oh okay that makes sense. And in 2 years it's 1 times 1 plus my growth rate squared because it's two years in the future divided by one plus my whack squared because it's two years in the future okay and so this this is like one of the few times in finance where we'll have to deal with exponents um and so if you haven't done any math with exponents in a while sadly it's something that is worth revisiting um it just it's just like you don't have to be an expert in like exponents and like logarithm and like any of that stuff, but just like conceptually it's worth understanding that it works that way and sort of a little bit why. 
Um, and we'll do some Excel modules that we'll link to where we can show you computationally in Excel how this looks. Um, but anyway, so that is the basic principle of a discounted cash flow is we're looking at our cash flows today. Those cash flows very likely in our projection will grow over time. But the growth rate of those cash flows is likely in the long run to be lower than our discount rate today. So if we're doing one times one plus the growth rate to whatever power divided by one plus our WAC to whatever power, if the WAC exceeds our growth rate, the denominator is going to grow faster than the numerator. And so these cash flow, the present value, the NPV of these cash flows, as we get further and further into the future, will get smaller and smaller. Okay. And when we're figuring out the discounted cash flow of a business, we look at all of those discounted cash flows and we sum them all together. Um, and that's our DCF. Um, so we're going to debrief on this. We're going to review this. We're going to give a lot of examples, but that is at a high level how DCFs work. Um, and so that we'll, we'll pause there for today. Um, and we'll pick this up next time. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to check out our website, breakingintofinancepodcast.com, where you can submit questions, join our Substack to stay up to date on new content releases, and much, much more. We'll see you next time.